Okay, let's prepare ourselves in a usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound is necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another day of your grace for the time that we can come and fellowship in your word and with each other. We thank you for the rain that you have given us, for your logistical support that is ever faithful, for your word that lives and abides forever, the grace system of perception, for our health. There's so much that we can be thankful for every single day, and we tend to take things for granted. But we pray that you will help us this very evening to concentrate upon your word so that it can be filed away in our long-term memory as epinosis in our cardia. We recognize that we don't earn or deserve this, but it's all because of your grace. So we pray that you will help us concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I guess it's too late to mention about if anybody hasn't, hasn't got there. Money in for the deal is too late, isn't it? Okay. All right. Is, if anyone's here that haven't, hasn't signed up and want to, it's not too late. Okay, open your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10b. 1 Thessalonians. We don't have that much more to go in First Thessalonians, only five chapters, and we're already getting close to the verse 13, which is going to change the subject and end the chapter. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10b, you can look up here. We start with a new sentence in the middle of chapter 4, verse 10. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still the more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. I changed this a little bit because I noticed that somehow, instead of having the New American Standard Version, which is our standard version that I'm using for my notes, when I put this, when I copied this verse onto this, it wound up being the New International Version, so it was a little bit different. So if the notes that you had before are a little different than these, that's why. But I'm sticking with the New American Standard Version throughout the notes. So we start with a word of contrast, but... The subject is changing from sexual purity and staying away from immorality to brotherly love. But we urge you, brethren, and that's our old friend Parakaleo, that is to encourage, to call to the side and encourage someone. We should all be encouraging to each other. We sure need it. Every one of us needs encouragement. Sometimes we find it harder to give encouragement than it is to give criticism, and that's not the way it should be. You should be looking for reasons to praise your children, and you should be looking for reasons to encourage and praise other 
Christians also. I've talked to people before and given them a word of encouragement, and it's just like cool water of someone out on the desert that's desperately thirsty. We all need encouragement, and we encourage one another through the Word of God and also our experiences. When we testify how God got us through this or He brought us through that, whatever it was, and your faith, your trust in God and His Word is always an encouragement to others. And it says to excel all the more or still more. I don't know how much you're doing in your spiritual life. It's not my business, but I know one thing. You can do more, and I can do more. And this is what Paul was urging the Thessalonian believers to still do more. Even though they were doing things, we can always ratchet it up a notch. This is what he was encouraging them to do. It's not always easy to encourage believers. Sometimes it's more difficult. And this is what this... Uh, well, I can't change it now. I was going to put this all in italics. Y'all remember this little ditty here, this little poem? To dwell above with saints in love, oh, that will be glory. But to stay below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. And that's when I got into my stinker mode. Remember, I said, we're all stinkers. By the way, I said, everyone that's sitting here are stinkers. And everyone that's standing up is stinkers also. I said that. And I meant it for me. But at that very moment, Ken stood up. <laughs> right after I said that. And it just struck me as funny. And I pointed over at him. And y'all think I was talking to him to begin with, but I wasn't. I was making sure that you understood that I'm a stinker too because I'm standing up. But right as I was saying that, Ken stood up. It just struck me as funny. So it wasn't directed towards Ken. But he is a stinker too. In fact, we all are. Verse 11, and to make it your ambition, we have a word here that is really a compound word. It's phileo timeomai, P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-E-O-M-A-I. It comes from philos, meaning love, and time, meaning honor means to give honor to something to the extent that you aspire to do something or be someone, to have ambition or to make it your goal. This verb is used in two other places. Uh, by the way, it's an infinitive present active. You don't have a mood in the infinitive. And so this is to aspire to preach the gospel in Romans 5.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.9. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him, to be pleasing for God. That should be our goal, our ambition, and to aspire. This is for not only pastors to aspire to preach the gospel. That means not only to preach in the sense that I'm doing it in a local church as a pastor. It also is referring to you as a believer to impart spiritual truths to whoever is willing to listen. And that is what that's about. That should be our goal. That's what we should aspire to. And, of course, in our, in our um, verse here, we see that should be our ambition to lead a quiet life. 
And that's where we ended on this particular phrase. It comes from the Greek word heisukazo, H-E-S-Y-C-H-A-Z-O. Actually, that Y is a U in the Greek. If you were reading it from the Greek text, Greek word there, you see that's a U, which we would be pronounced heisukazo. It's an infinitive, and it also is a present, in, uh, uh, present active infinitive. We have three present active infinitives in a row. So we are to make it our, our goal, and we are, the goal is to lead a quiet life. And I love the King James Version here. It means that it says, and study to be quiet. <laughs> uh, I think that's funny. Some of us cannot do it without studying on it. And when I say some of us, really, I'm being very kind because what I really mean is all of us. And I'll support that with some scripture in just a moment. So keeping our mouth shut doesn't come naturally. We must study to learn how to do it. This word is used five times in the New Testament, this quiet here. And it is found in Luke 14:4. but they remain silent. As we're going to see, it can mean two different things. It can mean either literally keep your mouth shut or it can mean to live in a quiet mode. It can mean either one. Luke chapter 23, verse 56, and rested the Sabbath day. Now, that's not keeping your mouth shut. That's more of the... Uh, way of living a quiet life. Well, all of us could probably use a little less drama and excitement in our life from time to time. But it might be like in the military. In the military, you can go from the absolute doldrums to absolute panic in a matter of seconds, especially those who are in harm's way. It's just a daily routine. Everything's going on as normal. The next thing you know, there are explosions going on around you. Bullets are whizzing over your head. So you can go from the mundane droning on of every day to excitement in a heartbeat. And you never know when that's going to happen. And it's really the same way in our lives. You never know when the phone is going to ring or you're traveling down the road uh, what is going to happen. So we have to be prepared for the excitement, but what we should aspire to is a quiet life. I don't know about you, but I don't like surprises and excitement that I hadn't bargained for or hadn't planned on. Now, I think it was about a year ago, pretty close to uh, exactly a year ago, I guess, Carrie and I went to uh, Arkansas, and then we went into Missouri and went to... Uh, what's the name of that place? Thank you. Yeah, uh, Branson, Missouri. And I rode that rip-de-doo, whirly thing around there. Now, that I was in for a little excitement then. I was planning on it. And I was very proud because I did not throw up. I was the only one that had, uh, I, I guess I should, should say, was silly or stupid enough to get on it. I think I was the oldest one on it for sure. And I did all fine. I mean, this, this thing does the loopity loop, and I can't remember the name of it, some kind of killer name. And I did fine until it came right at the end to slow down. And they just slowed down too fast. 
I mean, I don't know how fast we were going, but we must have been in the length of this church. We probably went from about 90 to about 10. It just slowed you down, and I wasn't ready for that. But in any case, most of the time we're not up for excitement. We just want to live a normal, uh, uneventful life. Of course, we know that that's impossible, but that's what we should aspire to. In other words, we should not be troublemakers, but peacemakers. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. And when they had heard this, they quieted down. And that means they actually shut their mouths, their excitement and all that level was brought down, which was fine, which was good. And then Acts 21, 14. This is actually the verse we ended on last time. It says, And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. This is when Paul was a damnit about going to Jerusalem. It was not the Lord's will. The people knew it wasn't the Lord's will. God sent a prophet, Agabus, to tell him, don't go. And he said he was going to go anyway. They did everything they could in order to keep him from doing it. And finally, he was not persuaded. And that's very important where it says, we fell silent. There is a time for you when you've given it your best shot to back off, shut your mouth, and leave it in the Lord's hands. And that's what it says. In fact, the end of this verse says, the will of the Lord be done. So you're going to talk to people sometime. You're going to be giving them biblical truths. And they're going to be stiff-arming you all the way and giving you reasons why this isn't so and how it doesn't apply to them and make excuses and all these type of things. There needs to be a point when you just shut it down, you shut your mouth, that's what this Word is talking about, and then just leave them in the Lord's hands. You don't pray that the Lord uh, rend them asunder, but you just... You just have to faith rest. You give it your best shot. Now it's up to the Lord to take it from there. It should be noted that living a quiet life and keeping your mouth shut goes hand in hand. Wouldn't you agree with that? Most of the time, people, when they get in trouble, and when they're not living a quiet life, it is because of what they said, either with their mouth or with it written, wrote it down, or typed it out these days. There's a time to speak and a time to keep your mouth shut. And if you're not sure what time it is, which one to do, do the latter. Keep your mouth shut. When in hot water or deep water, keep your mouth shut. There's a time to acquiesce and a time to hold your ground no matter what. It takes discernment to know when to do what, and Bible doctrine is the only way to learn it. There are so many issues, there's so many things that come into our lives, decisions we have to make. And there's a, some people will say, say, it's always the right time to give the gospel. It's always the right time for you to uh, stand firm for the faith and speak out. And that's true to an extent, but not always. I'll give you a good example. I hate to use myself as an example, but this is what came to mind. Um, about... A month ago, I was at the Walmart gas station, and I overpaid the guy by $10. And I didn't know it. I, I overpaid him, and he gave me $10 back. And I was surprised. And I said, wow. I said, it's really unusual to find someone honest these days. I really appreciate your honesty. 
And I turned around to walk away, and he said, well, you know, you have to be good to get to heaven. And I was walking away, and I just stopped. I froze right there. And I thought, am I going to let that go? Is this the time to speak? And there was other people, and I just thought, no, I'm, I'm going to let it go. But I filed it away in my mind. So it was about the next, the next time I went there, I had a booklet. One of the booklets, it's, uh, what are you working for? And this guy isn't there all the time, but when he's there, I remembered him. And I said, hey, here's something that I wrote you might want to look at. I gave it to him, paid, and I was on my way. And about, I guess, two or three times after that, I went in, I bought gas, and I would go in and pay him. He didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him. And I thought, hmm, I just don't feel led to say anything. But about the fourth time I went in there and I went to pay him, and I said, okay, I feel like saying something now. I guess the Holy Spirit was leading me. And I said, by the way, did you ever read that book I gave you? He said, I sure did. I said, do you remember me? He said, I sure do. And all this time, we were, he was taking money, giving me change or whatever, and we never spoke about it again. And so I said, wow, that's really something. And I said, well, what did you think about it? He said, I really liked it. Do you have any more? And I said, well... Uh, I don't think I do, but I'll tell you what, next time I'm in here, I'll sure bring one. And so about that time, Mr. Paul Resnicek pulls up in the truck and had no idea the timing, and I went over there and I said, Say, I said, do you have any booklets with you by chance? He says, I sure do. <laughs> and I told him what just transpired there at the little booth, and I don't, you gave him some, right, Paul? Okay, so I don't know what was said then, but uh, anyhow, what I'm saying is you, can't, you don't have to push it. Sometimes there will be discernment because we're led by the Holy Spirit, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you just to keep your mouth shut. It's not the right time for whatever reason. We, we don't always know why. But what I'm telling you, it, it's not one size fits all and that you're always on the attack dog mode when it comes to giving biblical truth. Certainly you want to be alert and look for opportunities, but there's a time to speak and a time not to. There's a time to stand firm and you don't budge an inch. And there's times that you are to acquiesce. And I could give you examples in the Bible about this. Uh, one happens to be when Paul went back uh, to Jerusalem, and he was uh, addressing the other apostles, and they were trying to say that uh, Titus, who was a Gentile, needed to uh, be circumcised, and he would not budge. I mean, there was a huge debate over that. It was the time to stand firm. But then there was another time that they were making an issue out of one of his companions that needed to be circumcised, and he said, go ahead and, and do it, and we'll press on. See, that's discernment. And that only comes with, I guess, maybe three things. First of all, you have to have the doctrine. Second of all, it comes with experience and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, just keep that in mind when we're talking about this um, being in silence, living in, in, in quietness and so forth. The only way to learn that is through a doctrine being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's one that will hit us all. Right here, James chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. It's talking about your tongue. We're talking about keeping silent. There's a 
time to speak and a time to keep quiet. So you can either turn there or look up here, James chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. So also the tongue is a small part of the body. It's been talking about how... Um, well, it, well, it explains it even further here. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. One kitchen match can start a forest fire. I don't know what causes the fires in California. It seems like every summer they have them. And it doesn't have to be a blowtorch. It doesn't have to be a big bonfire. It can be just one match, one cigarette, whatever. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I would say that's pretty strong language. James is trying to get our attention. We need to be very concerned about what we say because there's one thing that the scientists have not figured out how to, to manage is once you speak a word, how to take it back. I, I don't know how anybody has figured out how that can happen. I know that there's been times when I've said something and immediately after I've said it, I wish I had never said it. But you can't take it back. The damage is already done. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. That describes the tongue like no other book you can go to can describe it. And so there is a time that we need to keep silent. And I'm still trying to master that myself. Every once in a while I'll manage it. And I'll think about something to say, and I'll be tempted to say it, and I'll just like this. And then the conversation goes on, and I'm thinking, I'm so glad I didn't say it. So this is something we have to keep in mind, and it has to do with what our, we're talking about. Living a quiet life, but the way to, keep a, uh, to live a quiet life in many cases is by keeping quiet, period. One reason we pray for our leaders in government is so that we can live a quiet, peaceful life without intrusion on our freedom and tranquility. So this is one reason that we pray for our leaders is so that they will recognize our rights and our privacy so that we can live a quiet life without intrusion and without drama and excitement. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 is one of the verses here. It says, Pray for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I wish that the Bible didn't command us to pray for our leaders. Unless it was an imprecatory prayer, I would be on board for that. That's not for our dispensation, though. That's when David used to pray. Uh, wipe them out, just help us to annihilate them, no breath left, all this type of thing. 
But for us, we are to pray for our kings, not just so that they can keep their position of power, but so that they will understand that they are ministers of God for good and that we can live tranquil lives. I think I say this in this next paragraph here. One, ra- one reason our nation is in such horrible shape today is because believers ignore God and His Word. They stop praying for our leaders to be ministers of God for good. We're not talking about praying for them because they are of your particular political uh, party or persuasion. That's not what it means for you to pray for those that are in high positions. I don't think that God is interested in someone praying for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. We pray for individuals that God would so impact their lives that they would govern in such a way that would be pleasing to Him. And if they are, then we can lead a quiet and tranquil life. Such leaders stay within the confines of our Constitution. But today, believers look to government rather than God for support and security, and that's the problem to a large degree. We have Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 through 7. This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. We have too many people turning every direction except up, except the right direction today. They just lost faith. They lost trust in God and His Word. And that's one reason we're paying the price that we do today. If those haven't got to you yet, maybe this one will. This is another infinitive. The next phrase, to mind your own business. For some, minding your own business is not much easier than controlling your tongue. But this also, like living your life in a quiet mode, keeping quiet, this has two meanings also, which we'll see. So, to mind your own business has a double meaning. One Uh, On the one hand, it refers to keeping your nose out of other people's business. And on the other hand, it means to take care of your own responsibilities. We use it, I guess, more as an idiom when someone we think is intruding into our privacy. We say, mind your own business. But this is telling us to mind your own business. This is a present active infinitive. It's not an imperative because infinitives don't have a a mood, which is what a, a command is. But it can, this can be taken either way. It can mean either stay out of other people's business or take care of your business. Mind your business. Mind your own business. So it appears that some Thessalonian believers misapplied the doctrine of the imminency of the rapture, quit their jobs, and were waiting for Christ's return. While the Lord may return at any moment, we are not to use His return as an excuse to shirk our responsibilities or to be lazy. In other words, they weren't minding, they weren't taking care of their responsibilities because they had misapplied the doctrine of Christ's return. They knew that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, and so they thought, well, it it might be within a matter of a week or two weeks or maybe a month. So they thought, what use is there for me to continue working? I will just quit work and just wait for Christ to return. And when you do that, you know what you're not doing? 
minding your own business. You're not taking care of business. You're not taking care of your responsibilities. And then someone else has to take care of you. And it's, a, it's a something that is dreadfully wrong because as we see as these scriptures unfold, that we are to be responsible and take care of our business, of our responsibilities, because if we don't, someone else is car- has to carry the load and unbelievers are watching and this bodes ill when it comes to our, our testimony before unbelievers. Some people alter their plans. They won't plant trees or go into debt uh, because they think Christ will be coming back soon and these things uh, don't matter. In other words, if you're going to plant a tree and it takes a, a tree, let's say you're planting a live oak tree, it might be 20 years before it really gets up and uh, starts to look like something. And if you think, well, Christ is going to come back uh, this year, next year, well, what's the use of planting a tree that I'm not going to see ever be other, anything other than a little old bitty twig there? Or maybe it's a fruit tree. You think, why should I go to the trouble of planting a fruit tree that I'm not going to be able to reap the benefit? When the fruit comes, I'll be gone and somebody else will reap the benefit of what I'm planting. And don't think there aren't people who are thinking that way. They are. And when I, I don't think I worded this exactly the way I wanted to about uh, going into debt because they think Christ is coming back. I've worded it here as if they don't want to go into debt, but I meant just the opposite. There are some people that will quit work, go into debt big time because they think, I'll get it all right now, enjoy myself, because Christ is going to be back before the bills are due. That's what was going along in the Thessalonian believer's mind and it was causing problems. Whatever the Lord has called you to do in life, whether it is being a good wife and mother being a student, being a janitor, or being a CEO, we are to do our job in a way pleasing to the Lord until He returns and gives us another job. The Lord never tells us, well, I can be back at any moment, so don't worry about making a living anymore, because it could be today. You don't live your life that way. You're anticipating His return, and it should his return should impact the decisions you make, especially in the moral area and spiritual area in these areas, but it doesn't impact you to where you just quit working. That is irresponsible. You are to do your job as unto the Lord until the Lord returns, and when He returns, you're going to get another job. And it's not going to be 9 to 5. You're not going to be worried about wages, and you're not going to be worrying about working conditions. It's going to be fantastic. But in the meantime, we are to work on this earth at our job, the one that God has permitted us to have without shirking in any way. Privacy is a very important part of freedom. See, God gives us that freedom. We have the right to privacy without someone sticking their big nose into our business. Now, there are extremes to this issue where some people voluntarily give out more personal information than they should while others are so private that they can't carry on normal relationships with other people. There has to be a balance there. There are some people that, I don't know, maybe you've had to stop some of these people before because they start going into areas that really is a private area. They should know that it's private, but they don't care. They're just blabbing all these things out, and uh, you might uh, kind of 
back off a bit and say, well, you know, that's more information than I'm comfortable with. I don't need to know that or whatever. There's some people that are so private that you can't even have a relationship with them because if you have friends, it means part of having friends and having a relationship with other people is to confide in them, to impart information that you just wouldn't impart to just anybody. And that there has to be some reciprocation there back and forth that uh, uh, that's what a friend is about. It's about being special, maybe saying a need that they might be privy to, that you might impart that someone else doesn't know or some particular thing that is sensitive. Whatever it is, we, we have to strike a balance. We, won't, we don't want to tell everybody everything, and yet there are some things that it's just in the natural course of relationships that we need to impart information. The next phrase, and work with your hands. The Greeks deplored manual labor and relegated it to slaves as much as possible. You know, they were the philosophers. They were the debaters. They were the thinkers. And they thought it was below them to work with their hands. And so this is Paul telling the Thessalonians, um, which were Hellenistic. They were on the, uh, where Greece is located today. That no, and work with your hands. It's something good to work with your hands. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't consider himself above working with, the hand, with his hands. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Remember, he was a tent maker, and he didn't have to. He rightly should have been supported by those he was ministering to, but he didn't do it on purpose. He didn't want any of his accusers to say that he was in it just for the money. But he did not feel that it was uh, below him to do it. Now, this clause meant to provide for yourself, not literally to work with your hands. There wasn't much office work going on at the time this was written. Just about everyone worked with their hands. So what this, it doesn't mean that you literally have to quit your job if you are not working with your hands. If you're in the office or you're, you're a teacher or you're doing things that don't, doesn't take manual dexterity or whatever. That's not what it means. It means that you are to provide for your family or whatever your responsibilities might be. No one should be ashamed because they make a living working with their hands. It's a very honorable and healthy thing to do. I think one reason we have such bad health and obesity in this country is because people don't get out and work like they used to. And especially the young people. When I was growing up, you'd have to lasso me to pull me into the house I couldn't wait to go outside and play hide-and-seek and, seek and uh, shoot rubber guns at one another and throw china berries and hide and all the things that go on, playing all the sports. I hated to come in. And, and you were outside running, and we, we wouldn't even go inside to get a drink of water. There's a water hose. That's all we need. You turn on the water hose, you go, 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 I'm good to go, and here we go again. Just running and just, and that melts the pounds off. There was no computers. And you going inside was nearly a punishment for us. And yet today it's just the opposite. You don't see many kids outside running and playing like you used to. They're all sitting in front of computers or the TV. They're not, they're not in motion. So working with your hands isn't only uh, an honorable thing to do. It's a healthy thing to do. 
The media has divided people into two groups, white-collar workers and blue-collar workers. And many see the white-collar workers as more intelligent and superior to the blue-collar workers. And to that I say, balderdash. Balderdash, by the way, is a word. It means stupidity or nonsense. It can mean that archaically. It meant to take different alcoholic drinks and put them together. It might be beer and wine or um, uh, liquor and I don't know, whatever else. It's just con concoctions. But it came, came to mean something that is senseless. It doesn't make sense. And I just thought I'd tell you that because balderdash is the word. It's a good word. And that is balderdash. I remember when I was in high school as a senior, even then, that was back in 1966, People already had started getting snooty. And they thought that if you weren't going to college and become a white-collar worker, then you were a little lower than pond scum, that you were lower class. And this is, how, this is how it manifested itself to me. I never planned on going to college. I never wanted to go to college. Twelve years of school was plenty for me. I wanted to get out and get out in life and start earning a living and getting with it. And people would come to me. These are the ones back then, I don't know if you remember this, but they used to wear, they were certain, mostly they were guys that used slide rules. This was before calculators. Some of them even had a case, a leather case, and they would put their slide rule in the leather case and attach it to their belt. And they would walk around like, I'm Mr. Brain, I'm super intelligent, and you are all underlings. I mean, that's the impression I got when someone walked around. They had their slide rule on the side. I couldn't use a slide rule except make a slingshot out of it. That's about all I could do with it. But here's what they would say. They would come up to me, and they would say, I was a senior, and they wouldn't ask me, are you going to college? They would say, what college are you going to? And if you didn't have... a great university right at the ready to tell them. And most of the time I would say, well, I'm, I'm not planning on going to college anyway. They would, oh. And they would walk away. And I'm sitting over here. I'd like to take that slide rule. And, uh, well, anyhow, um, it was the idea that being a blue-collar worker was was low class. And even today, we suffer from this nauseating idea that you have to graduate from some university, have some kind of degree, have all this. We worship at the shrine of education. And let me tell you something. We have a, a dearth of people who can work with their hands these days. We need more people because I don't. You can only have so many office workers. You can only have so many accountants, so many salesmen, so many of this. Somebody has to be out there turning the wrench, making the electrical connections, uh, digging the ditch, constructing whatever it may be. You always need these type of people, and today they're getting fewer and fewer. And for people who think that they are underling a low class. When was the last time you called a plumber out to your house? They make more than some doctors do, and they work with their hands. 
When was the last time you went and had your car worked on? Huh? These are people who work with their hands. Just because you work with your hands doesn't mean that you're not intelligent or that you are somehow just fell off the turnip truck and you don't know which direction to go. I went four years, actually three and a half, they gave me half year of credit, to apprenticeship school when I was, uh, and by the way, I did go to college. I had several scholarships offers. I went to college even though I didn't want to go. But I thought, well, if I don't go, somebody's going to, you know, I might regret it someday, so I'll go. Four-year scholarship. And I hated the whole time I was there. I didn't want to be there, but I thought, I'm going to give it a shot. It was a football scholarship. At the end of, at the end of that year, I was a freshman, and I was starting on the varsity squad. And I was making passing grades. And I kept thinking to myself, why am I here? Because I hate the whole deal. It wasn't any anything against the school. School was great. It's just I didn't want to be there. I decided to go and do what I wanted to do, and that is following the footsteps of my grandfather and my father and uncle who were all plumbers. They were either plumbers or in the HVAC, heating and air conditioning field. And I got into that, and I absolutely loved it. And I excelled. I just, whew, man, I went right up the ranks real quick. Because I was doing something that I wanted to do. I loved doing it. But I always, even to this day, well, not so much now, but uh, prior to the time that, that I was a pastor, people would look at me and, what did you do? What do you do for a living? And I said, well, uh, I'm, I'm a plumber. Or, or they might say, where's your college ring? I don't have a college ring. I don't even have a wedding ring. You know why I don't wear a wedding ring, by the way? Do you ever wonder why? It's because I was in construction. And I've seen people uh, that lose this finger because of a wedding ring. There was one boy in particular that went to apprenticeship school with me. His name was Tommy Bua. And we always knew where he had worked because he lost that finger from a wedding ring. He was on a construction job and fell and hooked onto something, just pulled all the hide, all the meat completely off this finger, and he lost that finger. Right down here at the nub. And when he would wear gloves, he would take that particular finger and stuff it in. Because he didn't need it. You want to just fly, let, leave it flopping out. And so whenever he got through with the gloves, he would take them off, and he wasn't uh, all that tidy. He threw them out on the ground somewhere. And you always knew it was his glove because they were all dirty, except this one finger was perfectly white. Perfectly clean. Uh-huh. Tommy's been here. Tommy Bush. Anyway, a lot of people, they go around and it's okay if a person graduates from college and they're proud of their college and what they accomplished and they wear a ring, more power to them. That's fine. I'm not, I, I don't have anything against that. But there are a lot of people that just want to wave it in front of other people's nose like, look what I did. And look what I accomplished. And they're older to know. They should know better. In fact, they act like college kids when they ought to be grown adults and not go berserko over what's happening in their alma mater. And they try to make other people who did not go to college or didn't choose to go to college or weren't able to go to college uh, as if they are underlings, especially if they work with their own hands. Work with your hands. There's nothing wrong with working with your hands. And I'm not fussing at you. I'm fussing at our society because they're a bunch of prudish, snobbish imbeciles 
just because they graduated from a university and they don't know straight up from straight down. And the Lord always vindicates. I started a log home business. Started a log home business and the Lord opened the doors and it's all the credit goes to the Lord. But when I was in that log home business, I was making probably twice as much money as most of the college graduates did that would look down upon me because I was a plumber. Or because they, when, when, the, when the economy went down, I had to shut down just the selling end of it and go out and construct homes myself. Well, there's some people that won't do that. They're above that. Oh, I'm not a construction. I'm into sales management. Or I'm in computers. I'm into whatever. Let me say to you that if you don't take whatever job you can take in order to provide for your family and take care of your responsibilities because you're above that, then you're a fool. I guess I sound like I'm on my horse, don't I? My, my high horse. I say this because I've seen this happen experientially in my own life. A college degree is a great thing to have, and it can take you places. But it also isn't necessary for you to be successful in life. You don't measure success by your bank account or by how many degrees you have anyhow. You, you, success in life has to do with how much integrity and how much responsibility do you have. How much, what is your relationship with the Lord? Are you producing divine good? Do you, do you have a personal sense of destiny? And what's happening today is we have so many people that are pushing their kids to get them into the right school. And you have to go to school. You have to go to college to where people think that if you don't go to college, something's wrong with you. Do you have some kind of disease? And college isn't for everyone. It's good to have, but there's a lot of people that have college degrees that are out there pumping gas. And I don't say that to condemn them. I, that's an honorable thing. If that's all there is for them to do, that's what they should be doing. Whatever they can do to, to provide for their family and take care of their responsibilities. But it's not for everyone. And that's the stigma that we have today. Oh, if you don't go to university, then you, you'll lose out for the rest of your life. Well, I'm one of the ones that went to university for a year. I could have gone three more years for free, and it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. People would say, well, you need to stay here because just think, ten years from now, you're going to be glad you did. And I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be here ten years from now, but I know I'm, now, I'm here now. I don't want to be here now, so why am I here? Who am I trying to please? And I walked away from that with my head held high because I proved to myself that I could cut it, I just didn't want it. And people that would try to malign me and judge me and put me down because that was the stupid thing to do, to throw away a, 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 a four-year scholarship, three years, I already went one. Well, that's fine. That, they can point their finger all they want to, but they bought the lie. Blue collar and white collar. I don't even like those terms. It's, as, it's like, uh, I don't like the term clergy either, or man of the cloth. None of you have ever called me a man of the cloth, and you better not either. You won't like it. Two 
To their shame, there are millions of freeloaders in our country who could provide for themselves by working but choose not to work because our bloated, bleeding-heart government will provide for them. What are we talking about here? Let's go up here. I've been on a rant, so we'll have to remember where we were. Uh-oh. What do I do? Oh, okay. I don't know what's happening now. Uh, let's go to here. Y'all can't see that, can you? Okay, I, I pushed the wrong button here. Does that say 100? I can't, I've got to get my glasses. It says what? Oh, 100. I messed up there, Jenny. Oh, thank you. See what happens when you go to college? <laughs> ah, you know, the Lord takes people like me and just gives them grace throughout the whole deal. When I was in high school, I took typing. I was a, I was a captain of the football team, and I didn't care anything about typing, but it was the only class I knew of where there was none of the girls in there. So a guy, this other player, this other football player and I both went to take typing because we thought, we can't miss. 35 girls, two guys, what's the, what's the odds on that one? So I took typing, and back then, there, computers hadn't been invented even. But as I was in that class, I had no, no really goal to learn to type, but I did. I learned how to type. Little did I know how much advantage that was going to be in years to come. The Lord knew, and he would just take somebody like me and just, you know, continue to grace them out in this type of thing. So, he uses all types of endeavors to help us get what he wants us to be. So, you ought not be ashamed if you work with your hands, and you ought not be snobbish if you don't. You can really tell a person's character if someone has, in society's eyes, a high standing, how they talk to waiters, how they talk to people who come to repair their um, things at their home and all. Anyone that would talk down to these kind of people have a soul kink. It's impossible for them to be right with the Lord. If you think that you're somebody because you've achieved something in life, you're nothing but a, what I said a while ago, just a fool. Nobody cares about your pretentious ideas about what you've achieved. What we care about is being humble and thoughtful and considerate and kind. All these things that are manifest in us through the fruits that we are to have, the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives to us. So we are to be responsible. Take care. Here's Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If anybody will not work, neither let him eat. It's too bad that Thomas Jefferson didn't put that in our Constitution. Well, Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it was Madison that did the heavy work in it. But it's too bad that wasn't part of our uh, Constitution. Because we have millions of people today that could work, they could be productive, but they're not working because... The government will take care of them, will support them. But what people don't understand, for the most part, 
is government has no money, zero. Worse than that, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. I don't know how many gazillion dollars. But the point of the matter is that no one can provide from you, the government can't, unless they take it from somebody else. And so all these people that are on the dole that could be working, to think, why should I work when I can make just as much, if not more, by being on the dole, have no integrity. They have no character. They are freeloaders because other people have to take up the slack for them. And that's what this verse is all about. Those who, have, even if it's a good intention, they were thinking, well, the Lord's coming back. I'm going to quit my job. I won't have to have any responsibility because why should I? The Lord's coming back. And this is what Paul was dealing with. And then he ended it. I think I'm going to have to end here too. It says, um, just as we commanded you. Again, Paul was repeating something that he had already told them. And you have heard from this pulpit many things more than once, and yet that's what puts it in our conscious memory. That's what we take with us. We're going to end now. I'm going to uh, draw a line in the sand right here. Verse 12. If for some reason I forget... Jenny, will you put a mark or something there when we're done? So I remember we'll uh, be at verse 12 next time. Don't forget that we have a going-away party for Paul immediately after the service. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are a God of grace and mercy, but also a God of righteousness and justice. We are responsible to take care of our own business, whatever those responsibilities are, and we are to do it as unto you not just to get by, but we are ambassadors for you and we are to do it with honor and integrity because as we will see in the verses coming up, there are unbelievers who are watching us and carnal believers who need to recognize that as ambassadors for the Most High, we are to live as unto the royal family honor code. So we thank you for reminding us of this and that we should love one another with a brotherly type of love, brotherly love, that kind that includes the unconditional love and kindness and thoughtfulness that we should have for each other. So we thank you for all this and pray that you will help us to incorporate all these things into our lives. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.